Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Hey, good morning, everyone. Oh, come on, second service, you can do better than that. Good morning. All right, well, welcome to Portico. Hey, if you're joining us online, thank you so much for being with us. And whether you're here in the room or wherever you are in the world, we trust that this message will be a blessing to you today. I don't know about you, but I am glad that the weather has turned. <laughs> okay, now I have a, you can't give a lot of guarantees in church, and you don't have a lot of guarantees in life. I'm going to give you a guarantee this morning, okay? Many of you put your trust in the end of winter, in a furry little animal (laughs) called a groundhog, right? Is it a groundhog? Yeah. Yeah. And whatever he sees or doesn't see will determine whether you get more snow or not. Well, it's not always right, is it? Okay, so let me give you a guarantee this morning, because I'm feeling crazy today. I'm feeling... I, Joe Amaral... After the third service, I'm going to put the snow brush in my garage. I officially declare winter is over. (laughs) How many times have you put that thing away and two days later it snows? So it's a rite of passage as a Canadian to have to clear off your windshield with, with this. All right. (laughs) Well, we're so glad that you're in the room this morning, that you're watching us online, and we are continuing in our series called Moses Unscripted. And we're looking at the man Moses before he became the legend that we all know him as. And what we're going to do today in the next half hour or so is we're going to look at four things that I believe we can get out of today's passage. Now, it's a huge passage of Scripture. We're looking at Exodus chapter 4 all the way through to uh, chapter 6 in the first verse. And so there's a lot of material there, so if you have your notes with you, if you have your electronic devices, your iPads, your mobiles, whatever it is, you can follow along on the points for today. The scriptures are there, and we'll give you some fill-in-the-blanks that I believe are going to be of help and blessing to us as we study the life of Moses. And one of the things that really encourages me about studying Moses is that he's not perfect. So that means there's hope for me. (laughs) You know, so often we look at a person who's the head of a big ministry or the head of a big company or or the head of a big something, and we look at them and say, oh, it's easy for them. I mean, look at who they are. They got it all together. But we don't realize is what it took to get to that place was a lot of mistakes, was a lot of failures, was a lot of challenges, and the difference sometimes between them and us is they didn't give up. They didn't know when to quit. They didn't know when to say no. They just kept going. And I love the fact that God chooses imperfect people. You know, if he chose perfect people, we would give the people the credit. Oh, look how great they are. Of course they're doing well. Look at them. But often God will take a broken, 
imperfect person who's just making it through life. And then something amazing happens and they say, well, it sure wasn't them. That's God in them. And this is one of the things we see in the life of Moses. We, we think he's this amazing, confident leader who comes to a king and says, you better let God's people go. But that's not the Moses we read about in the scripture. And so what I want to do for us is just to learn from this life who simply surrendered to God. And in that process, some amazing things happened. Well, do you guys like to travel? Yeah? Well, put on your seatbelts because we're going to go through three chapters of the Bible. We're going to fly. <laughs> and I, I have a love-hate relationship with traveling. I love it when I'm at the place. You know, once I'm there, it's great, right? Whether you're working or you're on a beach, it's wonderful. It's just the process of getting there. Now, from 2002 to 2016, I traveled a lot. You know, I became a traveling professional. I became so used to traveling that... Let me ask this. Are you the kind of person who prepares for days in advance before you're going to fly somewhere? Right, you got your suitcase out, and slowly you add to it, right? You're putting all your toiletries, and then you realize, oh, I need them still. <laughs> well, I, I got traveling so much that uh, people would say, hey, aren't you flying to Hong Kong tomorrow? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Did you pack? Oh, no, I'll pack tomorrow. I just got so used to doing it that it just, it was like second nature. It was like just, you know, driving into work. And so what I had to do was I had to develop a process, a mental checklist, if you will, of items that I needed to bring on my trip because there's nothing worse than getting to where you're going and realize you forgot something. And more times than not, it's not the big stuff, it's the little stuff. My son and I, my son's here in the room with me. Two years ago or three years ago, we went to Thailand and we landed, it was over 50 degrees Celsius. And I realized I forgot my shorts. (laughs) Not a single pair of shorts in Thailand in 50 degrees Celsius. So I've created this mental checklist. Now, in my travels, I got to go to a lot of really great places. You know, I've been blessed to go to Israel 39 times. Next month, in just a few weeks, I'm going to go again from my 40th trip to the Holy Land. Unbelievable. Now, I'm going to name some of the countries I've been to, and when I name your country, I want you to give me a woot woot. Can you do that? I know this one's going to get a lot. I've been to Jamaica. Okay? Maybe we won't do that for every country. (laughs) If you're online, type the name of the country that you're from so we know, okay? So Jamaica, I've been to Trinidad. I had a baker shark in Trinidad. Is it Maracas Bay? Yeah, I've been there, okay. I've been to Hong Kong. (laughs) Okay, not a lot of Hong Kongers here. I've been to China. I've been to Singapore. To Malaysia, to Thailand, to the Ukraine, to England. Where's my Italian friend, Luch? I've been to Italy. Where are you, Luch? Okay, that was good. And I've been to Australia. (laughs) That was legit. All right. I've been to almost every province in our country, but I haven't been to Newfoundland. Where are my Newfies at? (laughs) Got to get to Newfoundland, and I've been to several states across across America. 
And so I've learned how to travel over the years. And like I said, no matter where you go, you know, there's a common routine for, for packing, especially when you go internationally. There's a lot of things that you've got to remember. Like when I fly in Canada, it's great. I just show up with my driver's license and I get on the plane. You don't have to worry about passports and visas and entry forms and permission slips and all that kind of stuff. So I developed this mental checklist because, again, so often I would forget stuff when I got there. And what I would do is I would always visualize what I needed all the way along the journey. From the moment I got up in the morning of my trip to the morning I was checking out of my hotel in that country to come back, I just kind of walked through the process, and it really helped me. So I would say, okay, I'm going to the airport tomorrow. Is it at a normal time so my wife will be able to drive me? Is it some crazy early time that I need to book a card? Did I book a card? Uh, do I have my Uber app updated? Uh, do I know what the price is of uh, you know, the taxi limo service? Whatever it is. And so I would start, I would start with that. Well, then I get, to the, I get to the airport. Okay, I need to check in. So do I have my passport? Yep. Did I do my web check-in? Oh, yep, I got to do that. Uh, are my bags overweight? Or are, are, they, are they underweight? Do I have my bag tags? All that kind of stuff. And then I get on the plane. Very important stuff. Do I have my iPad? Do I have all the movies I want to watch? Do I have all the TV shows that I need to catch up on? Do I have all the new albums on my iPhone that I want to listen to? Oh, do I have my headphones? Oh, but I got Bluetooth headphones, but you can't use Bluetooth on planes. Do I have my cable? All this kind of stuff. Do I have enough battery because it's a 16-hour flight? And if I don't have enough battery, do I have an extra battery to take with me? Do I have snacks to take on the plane? Because God bless airplane food. You know, okay, so when I get there, do I have, when I check into the hotel, I'm going to have to shave, brush my teeth so I can go to the, ship, to, to, to the, mess, to the, the service. So do I have my, my toothbrush? Do I have all that kind of stuff? And do I have my laptop? Do I have my plugs? Do I have the adapter for the country that I'm going to? Some of you are getting anxious right now of all this stuff. <laughs> but it's the kind of stuff you, you go through. You know, do I have all my PowerPoints with me? Do I have my files? Do I have my books and my videos? Do I know what the currency is? And on and on it goes. And I walk through this entire process, and that helps me to remember, do I have everything I need for the journey? Do I have everything I need to carry out this mission that I'm about to go on? Well, our character that we're studying is a man named Moses, and he was given a mission by God. And I wonder if Moses had this, maybe even this unconscious mental checklist. God calls him. But does he have everything he needs? Is he fully prepared to embark on this mission? Do I have everything I need, Moses must have said to himself. God, am I talented enough? Can I do this on my own? Do I need an army to go back to Egypt? I'm asking for a huge group of people to be let go. God, do I have everything? Can I do this by myself? What do I do if I I hit a wall? What do I do if I fail? What do I do if I falter? How am I going to make it? Will I be able to see it to the end? Does this sound familiar to any of us? When God calls us to do something, God launches us into something, and we launch into this mental checklist of can I, can I, can I, did I, did I, will I, will I, and we go through this list. And these are great questions that Moses is asking himself and, and God through the Scripture has given us some great answers. So I want us to have our first point together. And if you're following along, you can fill in these blanks. This is number one. God gives you some of the stuff you need to carry out your mission. 
Anybody catch my mistake? Okay, let's fix it. God gives you most of the stuff you need. Is that what it says? What what does God give you? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. God gives you everything you need to carry out the mission. Okay, in this first point I got from Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And so Moses answered, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to, to what I say? That the Lord, and what if they say, the Lord did not appear to you? But then the Lord said to him, Moses, what's in your hand? A staff, he replied. You see, Moses didn't have a problem with the mission. Moses believed in the mission. Moses thought it was a great idea. Yes, my people have been in slavery for over 400 years. God, this is a great idea. So it wasn't the mission that he had a problem with. He had a problem with himself as the person that God was calling. You see, we don't have a problem with God's mission. For God so loved the world... He's not willing that any should perish. Yeah, Joe, that's a great mission. We have no problem with the mission, but often we have a problem with ourselves as the ones God's calling out to carry the mission. You see, Moses didn't believe in himself. He said, the people are going to say, oh, come on, Moses, the Lord didn't appear to you. You spent too much time in the heat in Midian. You were dehydrated. You spent too much time with sheep. Now you're seeing God. (laughs) And he was worried about what people would think. Oh, how often do we do that? God calls us, and the first thing we do is, well, what are people going to say? God's calling me to sell my house and move to another country. What are my parents going to say? What are my friends going to say? What are people going to say? And before we even take a single step, we begin to worry, and we start to discount ourselves. Friends, you will never succeed at your mission if you don't believe it yourself. We have to believe in the mission and we have to believe that God has called us to be the one to carry out that mission. And here's some good news as we get ready to go into these points. God has already, not even he's about to, but God has already placed within you everything you need to carry out that mission to see it through. You know, Moses had spent 40 years in Egypt preparing how to be a good leader, and he didn't even know what God was going to use it for. He thought it was for Egypt. He studied under and was trained by the best of the best in all of Egypt. He had just finished spending 40 years in Midian as a shepherd, learning how to guide, how to direct, how to provide and protect for a wandering, aimless group of sheep. I'm sure every day he was out there, he was saying, oh, what a waste. What a waste. I'm going to do it again and again and again. And he didn't know, but the whole time, God was preparing him for the mission. And there's some of us in the room today, some of you watching online today, and you're saying, God, why am I going through this? I see smiles because people are saying, yeah, Right now, some of you are going through something saying, God, why am I going through this? I see no good in this. I don't understand. 
But the whole time, even though he didn't understand, it didn't matter, God was preparing him. He had to go through those things so that when he got where he was supposed to be, he would be ready. Amen? And so many times we go through things and we say, God, why? God, why? It could be medical. It could be relational. It could be emotional. It could be financial. It could be spiritual. There's all kinds of things, and we ask ourselves, God, why? You need to trust God with what he has given you. You need to trust God with why you're going through what you're going through. You need to understand that he's preparing you. He's taking us on a journey. You know, we look at a guy like Moses and we say, well, why can't I just be like him? You're more like him than you think. We see the polished guy. I didn't say the Polish. That's a different guy. We see the polished guy, right? The guy says, hey, let the people go. Here's the plagues and... On he goes. But we're more, we're more like him than we think. We're the ones who struggle. We're the ones who doubt. We're the ones who misunderstand sometimes why we're going through the desert. And we look at other people and we say, God, why, why send me? You already have a Joe. You have a Daniel. You have a Barry. You have all these people. Why don't you just send them? And we start to get envious of other people's gifts. And, and we want to be like them. And, and we try to be like them. Can I say something to you and I'll love? You always say that before you say something mean. (laughs) Become a better you instead of a bad someone else. Amen? You know how many churches I've been in where I've seen the pastor try to be somebody else and it's a train wreck? Just be you. God will use you. You know, we can learn from others. We can adapt stuff that they've done to make it work in our environment, but never try to be like somebody else. Want an example? Here's a great one in the scripture, David and Saul. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 39 and 40, we have the story. David was just a boy. He wasn't the king. He wasn't the great leader yet. He was just a boy who was coming to give his brothers food, who were fighting on the front lines. And he wasn't even on on the roster to be one of the guys to fight, but he shows up and he says, hey, what's going on? And there's this huge guy cursing and yelling at the Israeli army, at the Israelites. And then David, can I say ticked in church? Church? David got ticked. He said, hey, who is this uncircumcised Philistine yelling curses at our God? And why aren't you guys doing anything? And they said, why don't you do something? He said, fine. I love that. Fine. And he accepts the challenge and Saul the king hears and he says, finally, somebody, who's our champion? And in walks in the little runt. And the king says, beggars can't be choosers. We'll take you. And the first thing Saul does, hey, come on, you got to look the part, David. Look at you. you got this old clothes. Uh, your, your staff is heartbroken. Your hair is crazy. If you're going to fight for us, you've got to look the part. And so they take the king's armor and they dress him. Man, he looks good. He looks like a fighter. He looks like a champion, but he can't move. <laughs> I'm coming. 
Tell Goliath, I'm on the way. (laughs) And David says, this is ridiculous. King, thank you. I appreciate the gesture. I I understand that you're supposed to look and act a certain way when you represent the king and when you fight for the people. But king, I got to be me. And he strips off the armor. And he goes down to the river and he picks five smooth stones. And you know the rest of the story. He takes that sling and he slays the giant. But he did it because he was himself. Never use someone else's armor. Take out that sling. Clean off the dust and go to work for God. Amen? You know, I've been on some great platforms. I've been on some great stages with amazing men and women of God. And people say, would say to me, aren't you intimidated? You're standing beside so-and-so. I'm like, I'm the best Joe Amaral on that stage. Yes. Come on, I'm the best Joe Amaral on that stage. I'm not trying to be them. God's already got them. That's why he made them. He needs me, so he made me. He needs you, so he made you just the way you are, and it's great. Come on. Man, I'm about to start preaching. Now it gets crazy. There it goes. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 12. Verses 20 and 22, one that we know very well. But there's such an important lesson for us today. It says this, as it is, there are many parts, right, but one body. But the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are what? Indispensable. You don't believe me? Cut off your big toe. I'm not actually telling you to. (laughs) I didn't know this. I I almost kind of broke my big toe a few years ago. If it wasn't broken, it was really sore. And I did some research, and I learned something, because I was walking funny when I hurt my toe. Think about this when you walk outside the room today. When you walk, you don't even realize it, but for a split second, all the weight of your body transfers to your big toe for just a split second before you release it. And if you cut off your big toe, you would either fall forward or you'd have to compensate for it by walking a different way. So can I encourage you? And you're never going to hear this in church again. Be a big toe. (laughs) Everybody wants to be the mouth, the eyes, the head, the hands. And we need those things, but he needs the big toes too. (laughs) You know, we need to hang out with people also who will bless us, who will encourage us as we walk out on this journey, as we walk out in this mission. Life is too short to be filled with haters. Life is too short to be around people who are negative and are always trying to tear you down and saying why you can't do something. Here's the second point which really jumped out at us as, as we were preparing this message. Number two, God surrounds you <clears throat> with the people you need to carry out the mission. Exodus chapter 4, verse 14. <laughs> Moses had just accepted the call. He said, okay, fine, I'll go. I'll go, but... <laughs> I was going to say everybody has a big but, but uh, you know what I mean. We always have, but 
what about this? But what about that? And Moses has one of these. He says, I'll go, but I can't speak. I can't talk. And Exodus says that the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And they said, okay, what about your brother? (laughs) Your brother Aaron the Levite. I know he can speak well. In fact, he's already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. The moment we say yes to God, he starts acting in our behalf. The moment you said, yes, God, I will do this, I'm scared, but the moment we do that, God starts to work in the background. And we don't see it, but it's happening. This is exactly what happens here. Now, Moses said that he was was heavy in his tongue, and he he was slow of speech, We've often thought that meant he had some kind of a speech impediment or maybe a learning disability or, or, or whatever it was. But then we, we get to the book of Acts in, in chapter 7. I talked about this on Tuesday night, but I think it's worth mentioning it here again. The early church believed this about Moses. It says that Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and in action. So according to to the Jews of the first century, Moses was known as this orator, as this great speaker, but he told God he couldn't speak, which is it? It's very simple. For 40 years, he lived in Egypt, learning the language, speaking the language, and then for 40 years, he's in Midian, away from the culture, away from the people, and he doesn't hear the language anymore. And after 40 years of speaking the Midianite language, he loses his mother tongue, which is the Egyptian of the day. And now God says, I want you to go back to the king. And Moses says, God, it's been a long time. I don't know if I can do it. And he says, fine, I'll send you Aaron. Because Aaron is still living there, he can speak the language. And so Aaron comes to meet him, and then they go before the king. And what you'll notice is that it's all Aaron at first, but then slowly Aaron begins to disappear, and Moses moves to the forefront. As the language comes back to him, as the culture comes back to him, he begins to speak. And so God sent him Aaron because the moment we say yes to God, he starts preparing, he starts working on our behalf. So God's preparing, he's got to go, but he's got to get permission from his father-in-law, Jethro. Now, in that culture, to ask to be released from your obligation or your contract before the death of the person was hugely insulting. And Jethro had the right and could have said no, but I love what he says in Exodus 4.18. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, And said to him, let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are even still alive. And Jethro just says, yeah, go. I I wish you well. That is a huge statement. To have somebody in your life who believes in you is so important in the success of the mission and the ministry that God has given you. You know, I have a Jethro in my life, my father-in-law. His name isn't Jethro, (laughs) but it's Clyde. And just like with Moses, after being in ministry together for so long, I had to go to him and say, God's calling me to move on. And he could have said, no, you need to stay. No, you have to stay. He said, go. I wish you well. God's already working in the background. And we need to have people in our lives. Now, I just happen to have a little Moses in my pocket. Because we could all use a little Moses every once in a while. A little Moses, get it? Anyways. 
I don't know if you guys can see that on your screens back, back home. But when my father-in-law started in ministry to Israel almost 40 years ago, he was given this by a general. And he said, you're, you're like a Moses. You're coming here to help the people of God. As a foreigner, you're coming to help us. And when I came on board, he, he handed me this Moses, and, and I keep it on my bookshelf all the time. And I said, God, you know, when you release us, you start preparing. God, I need to surround myself with people who will say yes, people who will bless me and not try to hold me back. In Exodus 4, we have a very bizarre incident, and I mention it because it's in the text, okay? And let me give you the, <laughs> the, the overview of it. Moses says yes to God, God releases him, Jethro releases him, and the Bible says the second he stepped outside of Midian, God was waiting there to kill him. Isn't that encouraging? That when you step out, God seeks to kill you. What is the deal with that? Why in the world will that happen? Moses, who should know better, missed something hugely important, and that was the covenant of God. God said every male, every son born to a Hebrew family must be circumcised. He said, that is the covenant. That is the sign of the covenant. That's how I will know you are my people, by that physical act called circumcision. Praise God in the New Testament. It's a spiritual circumcision. (laughs) I was waiting for one guy. Okay. So Zipporah, she steps up. She doesn't even think about it. She knows Moses has told her about the culture. They spent 40 years together. She gets up, circumcises the boy, touches the flint to the, to the foot of Moses. God, see, God sees the act, and he releases him. You see, Moses never thought he'd go back to Egypt. He thought he'd never see a Hebrew person again. So he said, why bother doing what's right before God? You know the old adage, it's only wrong if you get caught? That doesn't work with God. It's only wrong if it's wrong. (laughs) If we're faithful, even when nobody's watching, when nobody's looking, if we're faithful to God, he will reward us. Come on. And so Moses is spared because of the covenant. He and Aaron and his wife and his children, they're heading down back to Egypt And I'd love to tell you that everything was perfect. That when he got there and he said, let my people go, the Pharaoh said, yeah, no problem. I'd love to say that, but that's not what happens. In fact, he faces challenges. But here's the great thing about challenges. They're there to make you, not break you. Did you guys hear that? They're there to make you, not to break you. And here's the third point this morning. That God allows you. God doesn't cause it, but God allows you to face obstacles as you carry out the mission. Exodus 5.21, again, here's the overview. He goes to Pharaoh. Well, first of all, he, Moses and Aaron present themselves to the people. And they, they turn the staff into a snake. They do a couple of like really cool miracles. And the people said, you're clearly from God. Yeah, go represent us to Pharaoh. He gets there to Pharaoh, and they do these great miracles, and Pharaoh replicates them, and he says, no, not going to happen. Not going to let the people go. In fact, 
I'm going to ask even more of them now. I want them to make the same amount of bricks, but I'm not going to give them straw, and the whip's going to come down harder on their backs. And the people said, oh, thanks a lot, Moses. We thought it was bad before. Here you come down with a few parlor tricks, and now our situation is even worse. I'd love to say that everything was perfect, but it wasn't. Moses was simply carrying out the instructions that the Lord had given him. He was just doing what God told him to do, and now for a second time. Forty years before, Egypt and the people rejected him. Now again, the same mistake. Again, the same circumstance. Egypt and the people reject him. Poor guy, can't catch a break. And I'm sure that Moses was wondering, why is this happening Why is God allowing it? You know, I'm sure Peter in Acts chapter 4 thought the same thing. He's preaching the gospel. He's he's doing what God has called him to do, and then he gets thrown in prison. But while he's in prison, the church begins to pray, and revival sets loose in the church. What about in Acts 16? Paul gets sent to prison. Do you think Paul said, awesome? Is that what you say when you have a trial or a tribulation? But James said, rejoice. I got fired. Yes. My car broke down. Yes. Does anybody do that? But yet Paul gets sent to prison, and in the prison, the guard gets saved. And Paul says, now you and your whole family will be saved. Sometimes things happen that we don't understand, but God allows us to go through them because he's up to something bigger. One final point, guys. Number four, and this, I love this. I I already gave you one guarantee this morning, right? That winter was over. Here's another guarantee. God guarantees you success to carry out the mission. He doesn't say it's going to be easy. He doesn't say there will be no challenges. He doesn't say there will be no hiccups along the way. But he does say you will have the victory. In Exodus 6.1, Moses is sitting by the curb saying, God, what's going on? Why didn't you just leave me in Midian? It wasn't the best place in the world, but I had a wife and I had a life. Why did you bring me here? And I love what God says. He says, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out. He was at his lowest point. You can be at your lowest point today, and this is what God says to you. Now you will see what I will do. If you will believe, if you will stay the course, you watch what I will do. You see, Moses was looking at the natural. He was looking at it through his physical eyes. He wasn't looking at it with eyes of faith. He wasn't seeing the bigger picture. In Acts chapter 18, God said to Paul, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack you or harm you, because I have people in the city. Guys, stay the course. Stay the course. God says he is with you. Sometimes we fear what we see with our natural eyes, but we need to walk by faith and not by sight. And I love this. We serve the God of creation. And he says, now you will see. 
Now you will see what I'm about to do. And this is the final verse I want to share with you as we get ready just to reflect on what God is saying. Joshua chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. I've said this before, some of my favorite scripture. He says, no one, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors and give it to them. Can I say the same thing to you that God said to him? Be strong. Be courageous. Know that God is for you. Can you say this with me? No one. Say it again like you believe it. No one. No one will be able to stand against you. All we have to do is trust and obey. Amen? I want us to reflect on these words. The team is going to sing and lead us in this beautiful, it's, a, it's an old hymn of the faith, but the words are powerful as a remind us to trust and obey. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? What a great reminder for us that when it comes to trust and obey, that God simply asks us to follow him on mission, and as we follow him, he sets everything in motion. And all he wants is our trust and our obedience. And I think for many of us, the words that Pastor Joe shared with us today just have resonated in our hearts. And so I just want to pray with you this morning that we would learn to do what we were just encouraged to do from God's Word. Let's pray. Father, this morning, thank you for the depth of your Word, the truth of Scripture that comes alive in our hearts. And as we have just verbally declared before you, we know the importance of what it is to trust you and then to obey what you've called us to do. So, Holy Spirit, would you go before us, lead and guide us, and may Jesus be glorified in every one of our lives. And together we said...